Okay, right. <laughs> Is everybody ready? Yes. Fantastic. As ready as we can be for this. I guess. Yeah, I'm ready to purge. <laughs> Luckily, there'll be a bizarre euphoria at the end. Same as after an hour's vomiting. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Right. Welcome to School of Movies. Movies? movies? Food fight. <laughs> I say movies. This thing barely qualifies, as you're about to find out. Tonight we are talking about one of the worst animated quote-unquote films of all time, one with a 13-year production, some seriously shady goings-on behind the scenes, and a general presentation so atrocious that it is virtually impossible as an adult or a child to watch the whole way through and not at some point be completely lost in existential malaise. He's dynamic. Oh boy. He's dramatic. <laughs> He's the big dog. Dex Dog Detective is back in the house. That always runs to the rescue. I still got it. Charlie Sheen is Dex. When in doubt, just do the right thing. With Hillary Duff. Listen, tough guy. Doesn't mean that I couldn't kick your butt. Eva Longoria. I've got a hot case for you. Wayne Brady. I'm your best friend, Daredevil Dan. And Christopher Lloyd. Somebody ordered I recall. The Super Slick. Got milk. Do I look like the Dairy Queen to you? Super Sloop. Clean up on aisle one. Is about to tackle. Yo, Dex. They're building an entire army. His biggest case ever. Let's get him. I do have an idea. It's our I love this guy. It's a battle between the world's most beloved brands and the forces of darkness. Watch the tail. Sorry, Charlie. Taste that. It's checkout time. Great idea! Food fight. This makes 500 cases you've solved. What's your secret? The secret's inside. Joining us for this mucky clutter of mistakes, we have Caro Nagisa. It's Strawberry Jam out of here. Oh no, the puns have started. <laughs> and Debbie Morse. Hello. Both of sequentially yours. Brendan Agnew. The secret was inside <laughs> of, synapse, <laughs> of Synapse. And Aaron Lecluse. Hello. Uh, I, I got to say, though, uh, I think it's unfair to call the things that happen in this film puns. Yeah. Because at least those are amusing. Well, yeah, I've got a thing on puns, but if anyone else wants to talk about puns themselves, it's it's something that definitely needs addressing. I'll just yes. I'll just mop up afterwards if required. Uh, Aaron is of Monday Night Magic and Random Discard, the Magic the Gathering. Are they both Magic the Gathering only or uh, no no random discard is one where we go kind of off off magic. So anything geeky. Okay. Uh, and of course my wife and uh, long suffering co host Sharon Shaw. The cold farted itch. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen Food Fight, by the way, that's fucking funny and well timed. <laughs> if you haven't, 
Um, I'm, don't. I'm very sorry. Yeah, and don't. Actually, just, just listen to us and, uh, and don't see this movie, whatever the hell you do. Because if you do, you'll be sending me tweets saying, what have I just watched, Alex? And it's way better to just listen to us. And where do I get my free sachet of bleach for my eyeballs? <laughs> well, I'm sure Food Fight could advertise it to you. <clears throat> it would be Brand X bleach. Yes, of course. Yes. Oh, it's practically addicting. I have to say a huge thank you to all of you guys for endeavouring to watch and analyse this one with me because it pushes at the boundaries of acceptable viewing content and it plunges everyone who sees it into a seemingly endless third-party Nintendo 64 game dreamed up by lunatics and pieced together by ten-thumbed clowns, all of whom seem to be at odds with one another. There are conflicting tones due to a wildly inconsistent sense of humour that veers between always mistimed pratfall slapstick listlessly delivered food puns, passive-aggressive racism and homophobia, leering over the female form in a way that would make Michael Bay say, steady on, and a worldview that is unsettling in its earnestness because of all the above. Now, normally I'd start with the history, but since the overwhelming response to viewing results in an enormous question mark of, how is this... We will begin as any person putting the film into the DVD player and sitting down with it, with or without kids. First, the statement of the film defining itself before our eyes, and then the natural question, and then the answer. So, to my guests, using your most florid language, gentle guests, can you describe for the listeners what we all saw and cannot unsee? Let's just begin with just the opening sequence. Let, let's not go blow by blow. We're going to have to jump around in this film because it is like it won't actually make sense if we go through in chronological order. We have to. We have to summarize. Mm, I think for me, the easiest way to put it into words is that one time I saw a video about making a relatively recent, decent graphic game where some things had gone horribly wrong and people's eyes were appearing outside of their heads and things of that nature. That's what this film looks like. Is the whole thing Assassin's Creed... Which was the Paris one? Uh, Unity. Unity, yes. It might yes. have been, yes. The whole thing's... Uh, Assassin's Creed Unity, only it, it looks worse. It looks more oh, yeah. disturbing. Mm. Yeah. Things look like they are inside out. Yeah, but it's not like inside out. Mm, yeah. No, there's, sadly. No, there's, there's, as an example, there is a group of things, I hesitate to call them creatures, which... Oh, the hairless hamsters? ...appear to be, yeah, appear to be modelled somewhat after the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh. And he does refer to them as the hairless hamsters. And I was looking at them thinking... They were supposed to have fur, weren't they? They just couldn't work out how to do the fur. Yeah, cheaper not to do it. <laughs> cheaper not to bother. Uh, yeah, okay. So um, anyone, anyone want to run with the Nintendo 64 parallel? Because that's the thing that I kept thinking of with this. Anyone, anyone know exactly what I mean when I say that? What struck me is that it looked more like someone did a previs for a real animated mm. movie or video game cutscene, looked at the, the previs and was like, you know what? That's good enough. We don't actually have to do any animation. We're good here. If you look at maybe the some of the making of stuff of, you know, really early, like, I don't know, Shrek. Toy Story or, you know, Shrek, like, before they actually animated anything, when they're just like, this is the basic animated storyboards of what's supposed to happen. Yeah. They just did that before there's physics, shadows, anything like that. 
That is exactly what I was going to say. That it it really looks like they they just did like a, a a quick throw together of this is where the animation would go. Here's what it would kind of look like, and somebody's like ship it. Uh, while we're on that subject of the animation, though, did you guys manage to track down the original trailer from 2002 for this film? Oh no, yes. I haven't. What? Okay, I was going to say, we, we need to dig up that link for anybody who hasn't seen it. So I know we're not really going to go historically through this film. Film. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but it was originally slated for release in, like, Christmas of 2003. Mm. And they had started work on it, and they had it, I'm going to say, pretty far along, question mark. But the hard drives were all stolen under mysterious circumstances and they had to start over with the animation. So there's a completely different animation. Well, maybe not complete. There's a slightly better animation style that was used initially. And then they moved over to mocap for most of their, their animation that gave us the nightmare fuel. That is the final product. The director didn't know the difference between computer animation and mocap. Like, he thought yeah. that they were the same thing. Yeah. Can anyone uh, describe what, what mocap... Oh, hang on. Before we go into the animation, because that is absolutely key, people don't even know what this is yet. They know that it's got free <laughs> puns, but, but what, what is the premise of the world? The way that in Toy Story, when Andy stops playing with his toys and leaves his bedroom, the toys come to life and talk and have chats and meetings. Um, and in A Bug's Life, you don't realize it, but those ants that you can see working are actually having chats and dis- and meetings again. Like, there's meetings in almost every Pixar film. <laughs> no meetings! <laughs> this union, is there going to be meetings? Of course! No meetings. So can anyone explain what the premise is? Like, Debbie, you haven't been able to talk yet. Do you want, do you want to tell, give us a, a quick blow-by-blow blow of, 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 like, the first few minutes of this film and what we are asked to suspend our disbelief with? Sure, sure. Um, let's see if I if I can remember exactly. And anyone, feel free to jump in if they if if I'm missing something because I could. Um, it starts with a supermarket closing, or a an old man is seeing customers to the door and saying, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm about to leave," and he closes down, and you see him drive out of the parking lot, whatever. And then all of a sudden, inside the store, this entire world comes to light and life-ish. And there are all these cityscapes and grassy meadows and heights that had to be much higher than the actual store and skyscrapers and this this. Yes, world that it, it makes it difficult to suspend the disbelief, and suddenly we're in a noir. Hmm. Sort yeah, of. it is kind of a detective story. It's not the food that's alive. It's not like sausages are talking to each other, as in Sausage Party, a, a, a ever so slightly similar film that uh, came out <laughs> fairly recently, but obviously made only for adults. And actually, Sausage Party, I would posit like hits its audience exactly right like if you like that kind of humor you're going to love sausage party as opposed to this where it's not entirely clear who they're making it for (laughs) but it's not that the food is talking it's the mascots of the food which they call in the movie it took me a second they call them ikes short for icons which is just weird and awkward yeah and it's 25 minutes in before they fully kind of explain that what they mean by ike is icon 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it might have been a little bit more obvious had they been allowed to use more actual brand characters. Mm. But I strongly suspect that a fair Mm. few brands were approached to see if they wanted to pay for some product placement. Coca-Cola, for example. And went, hell no. (laughs) Yeah. Justin Cheetah was there in that original trailer, which I've just watched while we've been talking. Yeah, I was going to say, some of them were in it originally, but when when everything went bad, worse? When everything went worse. You've got to take him out. (laughs) Yeah. We will sue Yeah, I think Charlie Tuna is the only actual mascot. Uh, Twinkie the Kid is in there very briefly. Uh, Is Mr. Clean uh, an actual guy? We don't have yes. Mr. Clean in America. Okay. He is. Okay, yeah, Mr. Clean, yeah. Mr. Clean is, yes. And although there's a voice actor listed for Mr. Clean in the IMDb credits, I don't recall Mr. Clean ever saying anything. Huh. He just He's stood around with stuff splashed on his shirt. I think he may have made some grunts or some yeah. some inarticulate sort of noises, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Chef Boyardee is mentioned, but I don't think he actually appears in there. Um, the, although if he did, he would be the only person based on a real person. <laughs> the yeah. only Ike based on a real person. Um, now a, the, Miss, Miss Butterworth, Mrs. Butterworth is in there as well. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. she's in there. Yes. Yeah. yes. And uh, I think the penguin character is actually the mascot for kid cuisine. Oh, okay. Really? Oh, okay. I think, yeah, I think I've seen him on packaging at grocery stores now yeah. that you say that. Yes, I think I have. Right. So it's 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 like in terms of what they set out to do. One of my questions was: Is it better or worse that the product placement within this film is so lame in execution? Since it seems to have been set up with this cold-hearted "we are going to market to children" mentality. The idea of crass product placement in a children's film is not new, and sometimes it's just something the eighties were founded on. Yeah. Exactly. It's just something that you can kind that I don't know. Maybe being raised in the eighties, I can just deal with. It's not so much that. It's more the fact that they don't know what to do with those characters. Like, if you're going to product place, make make something useful out of it. Hmm. Uh, I think of Wayne's World when they flat out just uh, lampshaded their product placement. Contract or no, I will not bow to any sponsor. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It's the choice of a new generation. Yeah, like the way they made Cubit into an actual like minor side character in um, Wreck-It Ralph that you cared about, so that at the end, when he turns up in the the updated version of the Wreck-It Ralph uh, Fixer Felix Jr. game, you're like, yay, Cubit's back. And then yeah. they took Cubit and made him into a full character in Pixels. Who marries... Oh. Uh, who does he marry? Is it... Josh oh, Gad. The, the snowman. Yeah, Josh Gad. He marries... He turns yeah. into a literal trophy wife for him. Yeah. And then gets to have sex with Josh Gad so that he can produce Cubit Spawn. <laughs> okay, so moving forward before I'm very sick. Um, uh, so, so, yeah, they've got this awful product placement, but the actual core of the film is, is a very simple like detective story in that uh, a detective's girlfriend goes missing for six months. I, and he I wants think you to mean... Get- Dog detective. Ah, right. You're right. He is a dog yeah. detective. He's, um, he's uh, Charlie Sheen playing a dog dressed as Indiana Jones. Who is also a detective. Who is also a detective. In the way that Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers were dressed as Indiana Jones and Magnum P.I. And I, I, yeah, okay, I get that. Although this time I watched it, I was thinking... Could they have, in a BoJack episode, Mr. Peanut Butter being Dex Dog Detective in Food Fight 2? Because Charlie Sheen oh, walked. Oh, it oh, seems please, like that would yes. be a BoJack thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> have that one. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so uh, so Dex Dog Detective is kind of this like uh, he's position. He also wears Bogart's costume from Casablanca, and how dare they invoke Casablanca in this film for a start? That made me actively yeah. furious when it when it mm. turns into a Casablanca riff. Like ten minutes in, I'm like. Oh, screw you. I'm going to try not to quote We Hate Movies, who also covered this several years ago. Some of these things are probably stuck in my head, so I might say them accidentally. But, uh, yeah, they, they took issue with a lot of this film, and rightly so. Um, so, so his girlfriend, Sunshine Goodness, can, can anyone describe this cat thing? Uh, cat thing is a good way to go, but... Um, She's basically... even described on the Wikipedia page as a cat-like... <laughs> Oh, a cat. Okay, a cat. That that makes. No, it's it's a young girl who has cat ears and I think whiskers. Here we go. (laughs) And um, she's kind of kawaii. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and she's a uh, raisin Ike. And um, whatever you're imagining in your heads, guys, it's so much worse than that. Yeah. Yes. Part part of the problem is that the way that Hilary Duff voices her, it literally sounds like a young Hilary Duff and a Charlie Sheen age Charlie Sheen. And that just makes, I know it's supposed to be the big love story, but it just sounds a little creepy. (laughs) I did some checking and Hilary Duff was 15 in 2002. So if she provided the voice, then she was 15. Charlie Sheen was 37 at the time. 37. I'm 37. So, I mean, maybe they recorded it later. Maybe, but we can can hope. We can hope. Maybe she was 18, but she, she, the the point is that she plays her like not just a 15 year old, but a a very child minded 15 year old. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hungry, tough guy? Hiya, kitten. How about we get Chef Boyardee to make us a huge feast humongous dinner? My treat. Ugh, sunshine. Or we could play stickball with Mr. Clean. Well, uh... Ugh. You want some? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it warms my heart the way you love my raisins, tough guy. Mmm. <laughs> ice cream, my favorite. You want a lick? Yes. No, no, no. Oh. The thing I was noticing with her, and the eyes on all of the characters are super creepy. But <laughs> they're dead orbs sat inside their expressionless yeah. heads. Black eyes, like a doll's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on, Debbie. Carry on. Specifically with her, they never could get her eye lines right. And so when she's supposed to be having a conversation with the dog detective she like she's always looking like off to the side or over his head which adds an extra bit of uncanniness to it to be fair that does rather give the impression that she basically just can't focus on him for more than five minutes that any she'll realize he's a dog eventually she's just like (laughs) what is going on out here that i could go and pay attention to i also this this only occurred to me during this watch through today dex is a dog. Detective. His two closest <laughs> friends yep. are his girlfriend, mm-hmm. who is the icon for raisins, and his best mate, Dan, who is an icon for, is it chocolate milk? Chocolate something. Or chocolate, something. Uh, chocolate something. Yeah. But yeah. here's the thing. He's a chocolate Anybody squirrel. who's ever had a dog knows there's two things you never give dogs, <laughs> and that's raisins and chocolate. <laughs> so 
on purpose. And the thought that I'm in a string of abusive relationships. The thought that it, it was toxic. To me, specifically. <laughs> that anything in this film happened on purpose terrifies me. It was totally to outline the tragedy of this character, yeah. that he only loves what he cannot have. <laughs> yes. He also loves the steak that's up on the high shelf. <laughs> okay. Um, the skittle that's under the fridge. So, uh, can anyone tell me the difference between performance capture and motion capture? <laughs> the makers of this film can't. Okay, right. <laughs> uh, uh, anyone specifically in in the know on on the uh, the, the uh, technic uh, technical abilities? Uh, sorry, the, anyone specifically in the know on the technical properties of these two forms? From what I've from what I've been able to, I, I'm not in the industry by any means, but I've like done a lot of you know, digging like behind the scenes stuff with like special features on movies and games that use this motion capture is uh, far more broad and limited um, performance capture is trying to, you know, get an actual performance from an actor that's got digital reference points, like, you know, Andy circus with the dots on his face and the, in the suit and getting that as your, your basis for, for animating and doing, you know, you still have animators animating on top of that, but that's, you know, they're they're animating to capture a performance, whereas motion capture is a little bit more similar to like say the the, the rotoscoping that you would see in, in Ralph Bakshi movies mm. or or Titan AE. That's a, a good parallel, actually. Uh, this is why whenever people say uh, Gollum's motion capture, I get like a little hives start pu- pulling in the back of my neck. <laughs> I'm like, that's not actually motion capture. Do you remember that Simpsons episode where Homer is at the mall or somewhere and he, he they're, they're showing this revolutionary new animation technique called motion capture and he puts on the, the suit and it's like five different points on his body. And he's exemplified as a dog on screen. And then he sort of goes, I'm Homer, the blah, blah, blah. And then he goes to the bathroom, still wearing the suit, and the dog pees while standing up in the grass. Um, It's that. And back in the early 2000s, there were certain people convinced that motion capture was the way to the future. It was uh, the, 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 you know, it took all the effort out of all of that difficult keyframe animation or drawing something. And uh, it, it made it so that you could make your animated characters do anything. The thing is, though, isn't performance capture a refinement of it? So y- your basic motion capture is effectively the actor providing the skeleton yeah. of the character and then somebody... And the digital model is effectively pasted over them. Exactly. Somebody in the animation and it team will to their then movements. actually animate in an ideal world, will actually animate a character over the top of that. And performance capture is more of a refinement of how much of the actor's original performance is captured, and then it is still touched up by animators Mm. to to fit it in with the the image that they want to go with. All that said, Andy Serkis should have won an Oscar for playing Caesar. I agree. But the, the, the motion capture here is incredibly basic, to the point where they haven't even refined the animation in terms of people's legs disappear into carpets and yeah. things like that. Uh, it's 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 not just it's really unsettling to watch because these characters I think they've just told their actors go nuts go crazy and that they're like especially this squirrel thing is leaping all over the place like he's doing capoeira the whole time. Uh, it's uh, but but it's not 
coordinated. It's erratic. It's, it makes you nervous just to watch it because you don't know what this, this weird creature and all of these things are going to do. Mm. Also, it, do you it's re- straight motion capture. I want to know what the guy playing that weasel was doing. Oh, God. Oh. The guy playing uh, the weasel was the director. Oh, seriously? <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. Seriously, yeah. He was like, like saying, here's yeah, how you do it. Weasel was the director. Oh. Do you guys recall the uh, Futurama episode where uh, Dr. Zoidberg's long-lost uncle, Harold Zoid, mm. is directing a film? But he thinks that he's back in, like, the era before talkies, and he's like, everybody has to emote more, you've got to gesture more, you've got to run around more. It's like that was the direction for the motion capture, because everyone, when they're talking, is flinging their arms about. Yeah. Bigger, yeah. more intense. Yeah. So, well, I was very jokey in my, uh, my opening, but it – and, you know it, – it's for a reason. Watching this film is actually unsettling. It, it, it starts to creep you out almost immediately. Their eyes and their, their mannerisms. It's, it's the uncanny valley in that nothing feels real, but you can sense something resembling that there would have been people underneath the characters to some degree. Yeah. So it's like you can see a shred of reality underneath this slew of very not real stuff. Do you remember that um, uh, on the Raising a Geek Child thing I talked about, those horrible videos on YouTube where it's just like you know the Joker kicking over kids on tricycles with these horrible procedurally generated things and yeah. uh, like Hulk and Spider-Man jumping on a bed and it's like a computer made them. That's the closest animation that I can really equate Food Fight to. It's, it's procedurally generated by computer. No human hand has touched this. Because yeah. it would, you'd imagine that if human hands touched it, they'd want to do better than this. It's sort of like watching a three-year-old changeling child play with half-melted action figures. Ew. <laughs> a changeling child who might have been a troll originally. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but they also combine it with uh, an animation called Squash and Stretch, which uh, if you've ever seen Wiley e. Coyote fall off a cliff and his legs go first, his feet have disappeared off screen, his legs are stretching downwards, he looks up at us but his body isn't moving and then his body goes and follows. So it's that sort of like they're, they're elastic characters. This is very apparent with the weasel thing because he's stretching all over the place. But that... Combined with motion capture, they're two very different disciplines, and it makes it, again, even more unsettling to watch. And they also don't obey any physical rules that you can really tell, like, affect things in the world. There's no weight to anything. There's no weight to anything. There's no moment. There's no, like, law of momentum. Like, things will go in completely opposite directions with no seeming, like, it's like, where, where is the force being exerted on this character? And why are they going in, like, two separate directions at once mm. while they're seemingly sort of floating in the air? It's like every icon has their own physics. Mm. Mm. Well, not to mention the weasel literally looked like shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was going to get the text just in a minute, but yeah. He, oh, they, they appear to have kept, They've gone to the bathroom, and they're using the uh, 2002 equivalent of an iPhone. I suppose that would have been a flip phone. Photographed some shit, and taken it back and loaded that into the computer and gone, right, that, that is definitely what we want for this weasel. Shit. <laughs> and they've stretched that blurry image of feces over this frame that looks like a dick made of shit, and it keeps stretching all over the place and talking in this unsettlingly soft voice. Yeah, and now that you know that that's the director's character... It's even worse. What does that make you think about the director? Um, 
I, I try not to attack people directly, but uh, I'm going to say some things. That, that does make me wonder about all his constant references to, ah, oh, sweet Lady Payne, she's a dear friend. Does he, <laughs> he say that? He, he doesn't use those exact words. I'm being a bit more lyrical, but that's the essence of at least three of his sentences. Uh, no, no, I, I have a quote written down here. The okay. Payne, she is like an old friend. Note to self need new friends which is the closest thing to a funny line yeah. i think possibly yeah. in the entire film there's actually there's one other amusing bit with him which is a bit uh wily coyote um oh no it's, it's not with him it's the squirrel thing crashes like he's he's f- flying down towards a tree in a crashing old like world war one biplane and he's pulling on the ejector seat thing and he's like no because he wants to get out before he crashes and dies and then eventually crashes into the tree and then the ejector seat goes and slams him up into the, the tree. Like, what I'm describing yeah. there, in your heads, it's already funnier than the way it is conveyed in the film. Had they timed it correctly, it would have been visually amusing. But they oh messed God, it up. The, the timing in this film. Oh. The, there's, there's none. It's, it's like they read a book about comedy, just one. Mm. Had never seen it done. Had never seen a joke told. And just went with it. Oh, by the way, that scene where he crashes the biplane into the tree, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty obvious that that was supposed to be the Keebler elves, but Keebler was like, mm, nah. no. <laughs> yeah, because that, yeah. tree, that tree scene, um, it serves no purpose in the film aside from to be the second in a power of three. Oh, my God, he can't do the loop, the loop, and he's going to crash the plane so that the third time he can get it right. It, it serves no other purpose in the film. What I've been trying to ask you all night. Oh, no. He's not going to try to... got to loop-de-loop to make the engagement ring? For fine out loud, you never made the loop-de-loop. No problem, because I'm going to tear the day in! Fly away! Come on, Danny, you can do it this time. Sunshine. Tear the day in! Not today. The film is an hour and 31 torturous minutes long. And it feels like it could have been done in an hour. This film is 20 minutes longer than Beavers and Butthead do America. Why did it need so much in it? You could have, you could have lifted the pain a little bit. Why did you have to hit this 90-minute mark? And also, like, nine minutes of that is credits. Yeah. Well, see, and it's without without 37 minutes me. of it is puns. <laughs> yeah. Puns, quote-unquote. <laughs> Um, well, they needed that whole running time. They they absolutely had to do that that long because otherwise you don't get the the rich backstory of the prune lady and the the just incredible twist that you couldn't have possibly uh-huh. seen coming. That the ugly lady was the sexy lady the whole time. Yeah, uh, more on that in a bit and how it made it just made me want to vomit. Um, what are some ideal examples for the kids at home uh, of the varied humor on show here? A- anyone just like. To pull a choice nugget out of the air. <laughs> One that stood out for me, uh, other than the um, cold farted itch, obviously. That's the Nadir. Already done. That's that is the Nadir, but that's nearly right at the end. So. Yeah. Um, there's a moment where a potato chip icon is at a bar, and Dex tells him to ease off the potato juice. At which point he pitches forward into a bowl of chips, and Dex says. Don't get chip faced. Now he's drunk as chip. Uh, here's yeah. the thing. It come 
comes again mm. back to who is this movie for? Because there isn't a child alive that, that's going to be even vaguely satisfied with this film who understands that that is a reference to the term shit-faced, which means to get drunk. <laughs> so it makes the no weasel shit-faced. Well, exactly. It makes no sense on any level, and yet it remains... <laughs> I, I mentioned the textures briefly. That like all the textures in this film have this sort of blurry sensibility. You know, I, I mentioned um, the N64 games. When you go back and play them, especially on an SD TV, they have that quality of just like being headache-inducing. Mm. When you look at them, they've got that kind of flecked but not sharp uh, look about the actual textures, so that they're they're polygonal. You can see the actual angular shapes. Um, I'm thinking like of the most of all of, of Conker's Bad Fur Day, mm. the Great and Mighty oh, yeah. Pooh. I think mm. that is the uh, the integer, the, the the joining point between this and Sausage Party because it has the sensibility of Sausage Party and the graphics of Food Fight. Okay, yeah. Another piece of media this brings to mind is Duke Nukem Forever, which took forever to make, and one of the first things you do is play with a piece of poo. It's a wretched, rancid game. Yeah. That's, 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 uh, there's even actually yeah. there's, there's a piece of shit in uh, a Food Fight that has corn teeth, I think. I could be wrong. It definitely has corn Sausage in it. Party. Sausage Party. Did I say Food uh, Fight? You, said food. Oh, you did, no. yeah. Oh, Hard to tell. There's a piece of shit in Food Fight. It's wearing a jacket and trying to sell things <laughs> in alleyways. Yes. <laughs> you. Uh, so at, at the other end of the spectrum of the uh, – I'm going to call it humor, but know that that's a generous term. Yeah, it's a at the, at the very beginning of the film, when uh, we've just had the transition from daytime supermarket to nighttime world of wonder, question mark, <laughs> there's, there's a frog who jumps out of a sewer grate. So it jumps out of a manhole cover. There's a frog wearing a crown. No explanation for who the frog is, why he's wearing the crown, what he was doing in the sewer. But he hops out of the manhole cover. The manhole cover flies up in the air. The frog immediately farts for no reason. Apparently that's funny, I guess. <laughs> then is struck on the head by the manhole cover that he just dislodged and says, and I quote, that hurt, as if we didn't know that. Yeah. And that kind of sets the tone for one end of the humor spectrum. Well, it's to set the expectations. We need to know that the Ikes actually feel pain when they are experiencing slapstick, <laughs> uh, slapstick comedy. It's it's just the way it that's, is. That's going to make our time with Cheezle T Weasel better. I am so excited. Exactly. And yet, and yet, this <laughs> film also contains the apparent mocking of actual Nazis. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more Nazi than you'd expect from a film like or Food want. Fight. Or want. It's like um, it's like when you go in to see uh, Brave and you're like, oh, I know there's a bear in this, but there's just so much more bear than you would have imagined. <laughs> um, only instead of bear, it's Nazis. And um, I think possibly that would have been... Less bone chilling in say 2015, but now in 2018, when we're embattled against actual Nazis, it's like keep Nazis for Captain America films and, and Indiana Jones films so that you know an actual hero can punch them, that they do not need to be handled by people with such a limited grasp on humanity as this film. 
That being said, I now want to uh, edit Proud Boys videos with Lieutenant X quotes. <laughs> yep. I think I just wet myself. Feels rather good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, oh, like, it, you, by all means, include the whole... like the, the, This is the general who also likes to get spanked. Which, whatever floats your boat. It's a kid's film, though. Like, he's doing a Tim Curry voice. Oh, a good spanking. Yeah, sort of. It's actually quite a good Tim Curry voice, to the point yeah. where I thought briefly it might actually be Tim Curry. I was Slumming very relieved it. that it wasn't. Yeah. I, I, everyone, like, in this... You'll read the cast list and go, how did they get Christopher Lloyd? The horror on Lyra's face when we asked her if she knew who that was. And she went, is it Doc? Doc! <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you subjected your daughter to this? We said we just watch a few she, minutes she of it and then by it. all means you can move. go upstairs was, and play the 3D. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, that's awful. Oh. It's a I got kids here moment, uh, but it's a, it's a moment when you probably shouldn't have taken your kids to see this thing. Yeah. She was the one who highlighted for us that there is way too much death in this film. Mm. Yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's death. They also mention, like, uh, there's at least twice in the movie somebody screams, I'm going to kill you, or something similar. And not figuratively, like, oh, I'm going to kill him. But they're describing imminent murder. Uh, now, that on its own isn't going to traumatize a child. The rest will, of course. But it is indicative of an inability to write dialogue which adequately conveys conflict in a way that both children and their parents can enjoy together. The rat says, I'll kill you! It's just you and me, fat cat. Now fork over the little guys and no one gets hurt. Never! I'm sending you to the cooler, burglar. I'm gonna kill you! Side note, he's the cat burglar, not the cat murderer. They're two very different crimes. But I suppose if you called him the cat murderer, it would sound like he murdered cats rather than he was a cat. Forget it. That rat is Harvey Firestein. And again, yeah. like, how do you get this guy um, You know, to, to be in this film? Uh, my conclusion was that the uh, producer had a lot of tapes on a lot of people. And it was like, oh, yeah, yeah. you're going to do me a favour. Well, there's, there's also a scene <laughs> where a, a rioting mob is massacred off screen. You don't see it happen. But what you Sounds do expensive. see is decomposing bodies all over the floor. Yeah. Oh, is that they're, they're um, going into uh, rigor moldis? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh. So they're literally yeah. decaying. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. decay and rigor mortis are two completely different things, yes, but they, are. they couldn't resist the pun. I, one thing I will say is that Larry Miller surprised me by how well he did with such a terrible script as yeah. pseudo Count Chocula. Yeah. I say he was probably the person who did the who put in the best performance here, just because. And I don't know whether it's because he is a true professional who really knew what he was doing, or they really have the worst uh, blackmail on him, like Larry Miller's snuff film <laughs> type thing. Oh, God. I think, but either way, he's the only one that I think really actually seemed to put in a reasonable performance. Mm. Christopher Lloyd's performance is by far the worst. It feels like he actually put in a performance and then they chopped it up to match the animation somehow. Yeah, <laughs> but it's I can't even say that he didn't care because it takes effort to be as bad as that performance was. Mm. I think with Larry Miller as well, his his normal performances are very deadpan. And this type of humour is not... It's undead pan. Blair! <laughs> That's a better joke than anything in the movie. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 
Um, but, but yeah, this kind of humour is not alien to him. If you look at the way he delivers his lines in something like um, Best in Show, yeah. but that's not intended for small children. Yeah. But I mean, like, there's also there's quite a bit of like homophobia in with his character as well. He's at least at least bisexual as a character, and that's uh, honestly something that needs to be in the background of more general entertainment, family or otherwise. But food fight is not the film to do that, because all they'll do is make shitty jokes about it. Like, he's something like he says something along the lines of, you know, I'm light on my feet, or, or something like... He, he, At the he, end, yeah. yeah. But he spends most of the film lusting after Dan. He makes his um, tinfoil lightning rod into the shape of Dan. Right. It's noteworthy that uh, Wayne Brady's Daredevil Dan is the squirrel that Vlad Chokul falls in love with uh, because he's chocolate. He's a chocolate squirrel. He's, he's black. We, we get it. He's, he's black. Is that the enticing scent of rich, creamy chocolate? Are you chocolate? Are you made of chocolate? Really? That is so sweet. Hi. Oh! Maybe my eyes aren't that good, but if you would just let me lead. Well, the phrase isn't blind as an eagle, is it? No, it's blind as a bat. What do you think I am? And with you on my back yet? Not that I mind that. You know, yeah. well, there is which a... is fine if they're being supportive. Like it could be the, one of the first LGBTQ characters in animation, but it's done with you know in a kind of oh, watch your bums, lads kind of way. Yeah. You know, it, he's a predator. The, yeah, if you watch that original um, trailer, it's even worse. Okay, it is even worse and even more rapey and even more kind of flamingly over the top. I and... didn't have the sound on, but the the animation was a little bit better. Mm. Yeah, no, they, they they actually backed him off quite a bit. Ooh. Okay, well, it's still well, well it's still done. very gay panic. Yeah, like it's still very it is, much yeah. gay panic, and and honestly, to to your point of like, did they have tapes on him? I'm wondering if that's legitimately true because his lines sound audibly different in terms of recording quality equipment. It sounds like he recorded his stuff remotely and it was sent in. I mean, the the, the he level literally of- phoned it in. Well, yeah. well, the level of technical ineptitude in this film is really impressive. Mm. But if you listen to several of Larry Miller's lines and then you listen to the character speaking right after him, the audio quality difference is right there. It's like, oh, wow. Are we talking something that happened over the course of years and you had to because the you know some stuff was stolen? Or could you just not even be bothered to have an actual recording studio? Yeah. Mm, it sounds open at the back of the mic. Yeah. One of my next questions was going to be, can you put a finger on what's wrong with the sound mix? And it's very audible when you've got crowd scenes or like uh, at the um, Copa Banana Club. You've got people saying things in the background, but there's no sense of spatial positioning of the characters. So some people just sort of mumble things off to one side, but there's no sense that they themselves are off to one side. So it just comes through a little bit more muffled and quiet. And, uh, you know, Dex is coming through loud and clear because they clearly got Charlie Sheen in two-way recording studio. But, say, Christopher Lloyd was maybe on the phone for 20 minutes delivering his 12 lines. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think part of it is that they were rushing to get something hmm. um, that they could continue to justify getting more and more uh, funding because this thing just kept running over budget because they have no idea how to budget for it. Yeah. I, I think that basically what was happening was they were rushing things out and they had no idea how to adjust which speaker a certain sound should be coming out of at any given time. I have a bit of an explanation for what this sounded like for anyone who hasn't watched it for what this sounded like and maybe 
why it sounded that way too. So you can imagine when doing voice acting, you don't always have to have the voice actors in the same place, in the same studio doing the recording. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to get the most genuine dialogue flow when you do that, but it's not always possible, right? So sure, you've got someone who records in a recording studio in, say, California, someone else who does it in London, but usually you would think you've got someone feeding the lines of the person they're talking to to them so that it sounds like a dialogue, right? But at the same time, there are all these big name, okay, at least B-list actors, in in some cases A-list actors, who were in this film. Mm. And you can't help but wonder, why in God's name did they agree to this? Now, I do like the idea that that they have dirt on them and that that's what happened. But if you had dirt on Christopher Lloyd, is this what you would use to call him that? (laughs) That doesn't quite feel right. But it feels like they only sent the actors their own lines and not the rest of the script. So they couldn't read the rest of the script and go, oh, God, no, 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 I'm not doing this. Yeah. So they had nothing to work with, nothing to play off of. And they have no idea of the context of their own lines. Mm. Yeah. Right. Keep in-, in mind also that um, they were pushing this. This was going to be the start of the new Pixar. Mm. They, they really thought that this movie was going to kick off a new Pixar. So I think a lot of these actors, even for the terrible writing and everything, they thought, well, if this is going to be the new Pixar, I want to be in on the ground floor. Yeah. It was a confusing you know, I want time to be, for animation. Yeah, I want to be Tim Allen, who was the home improvement guy until such time as he did Buzz, Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, I suppose if they just show you a bunch of uh, like concept art pieces, you don't know what the end result's going to be. And I would imagine everyone involved with it in terms of voice would have been horrified when they saw the final result and their yeah. voice coming out of a chocolate squirrel that cries turds. Um, yeah i wouldn't say that he's good but charlie sheen he at least kind of commits to the to the you know weary sort of like rick uh rick from casablanca pun laden hero delivering these you know like charlie sheen is a guy who's got charisma he's got genuine acting talent and he thinks yeah and he thinks he's in, he's making a real movie and you can kind of like I'm not saying he gives a good performance but he gives the kind of performance that someone would give if they thought they were making a real movie as opposed to this one more Maximilian Polar Penguin that name don't ring no bells from Polar Penguin Ice Queen is it just me or is anyone else called? Put a dress on me and call me Shirley. You softy, you. I love this guy. If you're ever in frozen foods with a dog him, you've got a friend. Well, the saddest thing to me about all of this is the fact that I can see the germ of a potential for a, at least a decent kids movie in some of it. Some of the... The, the idea of a supermarket coming to life after it closes, not a bad idea. I personally liked the general. I, I, I liked the performance, not the, not the character. I liked the performance. I, I found it entertaining as hell. Um, that so that was Jerry Stiller, Ben Stiller's dad, as General oh, X. Oh, that was Gen- Jerry Stiller? No, you're thinking of Lieutenant X, not General oh, X. Sorry, Jeff, oh, Jeff Bennett yeah. was okay. Lieutenant X. Okay, yeah. Lieutenant X, yeah. That, I liked that performance. Mm. Again, it wasn't good, but it was entertaining as hell, I thought. So there, it made me even sadder because there's things here that I could see that could have been something at least decent. 
like the premise and whatnot, this could have been okay. We came, uh, we came up with a better movie just with two elements of this. Um, we, we said, that, okay, Larry Miller. You got Christine Berinsky there, who, if you've seen Mamma Mia, she's, uh, what's her name? I can't remember the name of the character. She's uh, Meryl Streep's other best friend that's not Julie Walters. Tanya. Yeah, she's she always plays very acerbic, sarcastic yeah. characters. Oh, I love her. She's she's one of my favorite parts of almost anything. She, she was she was the one in the ref, right? Yeah, yes. she was the one. Yeah, yes. as in yes, you know, yes. slipper yes. socks, medium. Yeah, and she has so, a brief yeah. appearance yeah, in her. Adam's Family Values. And as well. Bullworth. Yep. Yeah. So yep. you get her and Larry Miller in a, a restaurant, and uh, Sharon said, "Okay, so both their respective other halves are cheating on them, and they've met up to compare notes and see if they can." like resolve this without <laughs> their partners knowing like in some like kind of like well, what are we going to do and spring this on them and then over the course of the 90 minutes they kind of get to know one another and find that they've got a lot in common at the end christine Berinsky goes up to the stage to do some impromptu singing uh because she used to work in cabaret and her song says so much about her and larry miller's just watching her and thinking huh you stay on his face and you stay on her face and she looks at him and he looks at her. Cut to credits. Better film, 12 million, and that would... I mean, you know, it might be an indie yeah. darling. Stanley Tucci plays the sardonic waiter. Get Richard Linklater on that shit. We came up with yeah. that in five <laughs> fucking minutes. Less than that. And these tick guys took 13 years to make this atrocity. Also, I've just noticed the budget on Wikipedia. 65 million. You could make a Leica for that. You could. Oh. You could make more than one Leica. One and a bit. Their last moot couple have been like 60 million budgets. Oh, okay. Sorry. Kubo and the Two Strings was... I thought it was 45. <sighs> sorry. Well, that's, that's just depressing. Oh. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah, no, you're that, that, that breaks million. my heart. So you got five million spare to actually market the Leica, so people actually yeah. see it. Well, on the subject of what you could do with these ideas, if you take what you're looking at in Food Fight, it's basically the mascot-driven sort of thing of Wreck-It Ralph and the animals in a hard-boiled detective type story of Zootopia. Like, there's yeah. there's two good ideas in there that have been done so much better by by two other films. Depressingly, Leica's most recent film, Missing Link, cost $100 million, and it made $24 million. That's studio killing. I've been told in the past not to worry about Leica. I, 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 can I worry about Leica yet? I'm okay. sorry, the little bits also, like, for example, uh, Grim Fandango did a better written, mm. better looking version of a Casablanca parody four years before this movie even started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you think of examples where it's apparent that the animators were incapable of telling this story visually? Because I've got a whole bunch written down, just little moments where I'm like, no, that doesn't work. Uh, the bit where the, um, the, the, what are they called? Zygobots? Z- what, what are uh, the, Xenobites, I think. The Xenobites. No, ex- where, exabytes. Exabytes. Oh, exabytes. Right. Yeah. There it is. Okay, so, like, um, it's during the finale, and um, the, the Nazi chick is saying, you know, fly by monkeys to, to the exabytes, and she lifts up one leg mm. and places it suggestively <laughs> on the rail. A la Mrs. And the, Robinson. And the, and the shot is framed so that it looks like the exabytes are, are flying out of her shot. out of her. <laughs> 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 yes, I believe I said. I believe I said when we watched that. Did you see that to Car- Carter? I was like, did you? Did you see that? Did, did I just see what I think I saw? I think the worst part of it is that was intentional. Clearly, they didn't yeah. do that by accident. They were yeah. like, oh, this bit's going to blow them away. 
Yeah. Uh, bit- how about uh, the yeah. Lolita dance scene oh. when uh, can someone describe yeah. this? Oh God. I, I can't. My flesh will crawl off my body. <laughs> I see we're all jumping for it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Remember this is a kids' so, film, folks. Right. Yeah, this is totally a kids' film. We swear it's a children's film. Uh, but but to bring you up to speed, dear listener, on uh, the plot up to this point. <laughs> So we have Dex's dog, Detective, whose uh, love interest has gone missing, and so he hangs up his detective hat and opens a club for reasons that no one quite ever explains. Oh, that's his club? Yes. Yeah, that's his club. I thought, I thought so, that was course, her yeah, club, and he rich. just took over. You, oh. see that? you say he hangs up his detective hat. Not only is he still wearing his detective hat, at one point somebody takes it off, and there's another one there's another underneath hat. it. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever animation you got in your head, it's worse. Yeah. So some things happen at the supermarket and a new brand is introduced, Brand X, and the Brand X mascot is a meant to be sexy lady named Lady X. Right? I think that's the only name they ever give her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And La- Lady X comes to Dex, Dog Detective, and is attempting to Lady X comes to Dex and tries to have sex. She really does. And she she shows up at his office dressed in this like Lolita outfit and starts doing these really weird stylized dance moves at him to no music. It it just doesn't make any sense at at all. Like none of it. She's like doing cartwheels so that he can see directly up her schoolgirl skirt. Mm. Okay, right. I'm just going to. Pop, pop this in because it seems relevant. We watched Evita today, and there's a scene at the end of that where everything in the film has gone on, and Madonna and Antonio Banderas have a relatively lengthy conversation about how the plot is progressing while dancing the tango. And it's obviously slightly separated from the actual events of the film. But the purpose of them dancing while they're having this little exposition exchange is clearly to indicate tension, conflict, the back and forth that she has with the Argentinian people and Mm. so on and so forth. I.e. there is a point to this framing device that seems otherwise completely removed from the rest of the film. This bit seems like... They were simply terrified of having two characters standing still for too long. So they do the tango so they and thought, bits fall let's them. make her do... Well, it's not even a tango. She's basically doing the splits vertically over oh, his head. Yeah, during <laughs> yeah, the two uh, dance sequences. The one the where tango she's comes later. Outfit, then there is a tango later on where they do discuss the plot. Mm. And I, I had never seen Evita before I saw this. Now I've seen Evita. This guy, Lawrence, was a fiend for Evita because at one point she says, don't cry for me, Charlie Tuna. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Avita, the movie came out in '96, mm-hmm. and Avita had been running since I think '78 at that yeah, point. Yeah. So, yeah, that 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 makes sense, and people would have recognized in 2002. People probably would have recognized the visual elements much more than you know 2013. <laughs> and yeah. uh, the, I, I, be, I believe this is the thing with the, like everything but the kitchen sink, and then the kitchen sink falls on them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. I like it. Um, I don't like it. That's a great big lie. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. other, other moments of uh, visual. Uh, what's the opposite of clarity? 
where where it's muddied. Obfuscation. Okay. Thank you. You're a genius. Oh. There's the shopping cart rescue of uh, of oh. of Daredevil Dan by by Dex Dog Detective, which, if if I'm not mistaken, looks in the uh, the original trailer like Dex is swinging on a can of Coke that is like on on a string of some sort. It looks like he's swinging on something that's attached to something it's- in. Whereas in in the actual movie, the co and and I I had to like kind of do the mental math to figure this out. It's supposedly a bottle of soda that's like rolling in front of a shopping cart that he's getting his friend off the runaway shopping cart onto the bottle of, uh, of the bottle of pop so they can get a, and then it, it it just none of it makes sense. None of it is framed in a way that makes you clear on the geography, on the physics on where people are going, how fast they're going. And I just had, I just had several moments of going, what, but what? Okay. Fuck it. It's the worst animation passage of the entire film because they've actually got to finally animate humans here. And they do like Ed Asner's got the shopkeeper and his his is a horrible uh, rendered character. And obviously Christopher Lloyd's robot man is genuinely disturbing, but these, you've got this, you know, horrible shopper and her awful kid. And ultimately, like, this is the time when you get to put the mirror up to the audience. This is what the makers of this film think that, that, that customers in a supermarket are like. These grotesque, twisted pig people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. It's you look at like the Lego Movie when it goes to live action, and that reflects the audience in a fairly positive way. Like Pixar wouldn't needlessly make uh, a, a, a shopping mother and her baby hideous on purpose for no reason. Mm. Yeah, oh, the yeah. baby in the first ever Pixar short. You know what that that thing That's is adorable by comparison like. to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The scene that Brendan's referring to, that struck me that this was they'd done something horribly wrong with how this scene was framed as well. Because when Dex comes in to rescue Dan, they both climb onto the bottle of, of soda and a la Doctor Strangelove, the top is knocked off the bottle and it flies off. With the, the pressure of, of the soda the flying exploding out. Exploding yeah. soda, and that, that kind of sort of makes sense. I mean, the trajectory and the, the, the speed with which it flies doesn't really obey physics, but mm. it, it kind of makes well, sense. Well, it smashes through but, a refrigerator's glass door well, exactly. and then yeah. through the whole thing. That's but, a hell of a lot it's, of it's, it's, it's borrowing Dan's physics. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's the seed of a principle of an idea. But then it occurred to me that Dex had already flown in on the bottle yeah. without the top having been taken off, Apparently powered by nothing. This is not nitpicking, folks. This this yeah. film doesn't make any sense. This is bafflement, genuine yeah. bafflement. I've got some other uh, moments yeah. of just the, visual the French, the French cheese uh, icon sent it flying. Oh. Okay. No, I, I no, I'm I'm not answering. I was making a joke. I but it's possible that they the that he sent it flying by the power of his farts, because that appears to be his primary weapon. Uh, it is. Yeah. Sorry, when you said sent, I thought that was a pun on the fact that he farts all the time, because right. French oh, cheese no. smells, you see. Yes. Do, do you see? Do you get it? As, as do, apparently, French people, if you're an American, making a poor quality joke about your the, the level of casual racism that's uh. thrown into some of these characters yeah. is 
just astounding. Okay, there's a bit where Lady X is walking towards Dex in the club when she makes her first appearance, and her footsteps are apparently smoking. But the footsteps keep disappearing. So, like, she, she'll walk three steps, and the last one will disappear, and it'll follow her. So it looks like this weird red half-pipe with steam coming out of it is chasing her foot. It's <laughs> such... Like, it's, it, it, they go out of their way to not show this properly. So it doesn't make any sense no. when you're looking at and it. And it makes even less sense because the shape of the footsteps she leaves behind are that of somebody wearing a pair of sneakers. Yeah. She's wearing oh, stiletto heels. heels. Yeah, right. I was just going to say that. Yeah. that. That bugged the hell out of me. Also, I'm like, who, who is this supposed to? Is this like a magic thing? Is it because of her true form she's wearing sneakers? Also, because the mm-hmm. streets are incredibly wide to incorporate the armies at the end, um, so much of the actual film takes place in these incredibly wide streets, which have no traffic to them. Uh, you know, like, yeah, where's the traffic? Why did they make the streets so wide? It's not about, like, you know, breaching, like, you know, this doesn't make any sense. It's, none of this makes sense. I don't expect it to. But visually speaking, if these tiny characters are in these massive streets all the time, it looks like shit. It looks like they couldn't be asked to animate backgrounds. So they made the streets incredibly wide and empty so that they wouldn't have to. So they're just standing in these vast empty spaces that look like PlayStation 1 video games um, and like N64 video games made by third parties who just didn't care. Oh, Alex, Alex, I'm sorry. You're, you're, missing, you're missing the obvious explanation here. Oh, the animators were so clearly concerned with keeping things consistent. Because remember, <laughs> this imaginary world that they're in is a representation of the supermarket itself. So imagine how big those aisles are relative uh, to our Ikes. You're not wrong. So they have to be huge. Obviously. Of course. Okay, so yeah. under those circumstances, if it were Pixar, you'd get like really accurate nowadays, really accurate looking, really sort of grainy looking floor of a supermarket. And in fact, the city would just be the supermarket. It wouldn't be exemplified as a city at all. Mm. They would have like clubs made of stuff that's in a supermarket, but it would it would definitely be a supermarket that would look like a city rather than a city that we have that to looks imagine like nothing. is on top of a supermarket. But yeah. This is this is yeah. one yeah. element actually that sausage party got right and it Oh it gets everything but like so much like, everything this, this gets yeah, wrong, sausage party gets right. I still hate sausage party. Yes, I know. But it at least makes its own internal sense. Indeed. And the the, the houses that they live in within the supermarket are made out of boxes and things from yeah. the supermarket. They cobble them together. Yeah. Do you remember Tofu at the beginning? Uh, yeah. He's oh, only wow. briefly in it. He's this sort of like Asian stereotype, hashaw, chopsocky dragon. Tofu. Kung tofu, that's it. It sort of slowly moves the crane shot down over a bunch of like martial arts. I don't even know what they are. And he's at the front, and it looks like I'm thinking the Forbidden City in Beijing. It lingers on him, and then he goes, and then he like his body runs sideways off the camera, leaving his head there and his neck stretches. And it's like he's done a Bugs Bunny or a Daffy Duck when he was crazy phase. Okay, so what are you saying about Tofu with this? He's not a character in the film. He comes back near the end, but like he's not doing anything. And I don't believe... Is he actually a a product placement character? 
No. Um, there is a brand there that has food called Kung Fu. There's also another Chinese food one called Fu Manchu. Oh, good Lord. Uh, so, so, yeah, this all just comes back to what you said about them not making them characters. Like, we're introduced to a whole lot of them at the beginning. There's this, like, blue elephant that looks like Max Rebo, this little child bouncing around, you know, the, the blue elephant that plays for Jabba's band. Um, oh, yeah. And he gets tortured at the end, and I don't think we see him again. No, we don't. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. That's terrible. But also, like, in, in terms of visuals, the camera lurches all over the place. And the way it's edited, I know that's not technically the visuals, it's just the way that the visuals are presented. It shoves you from one nonsensical half scene that lasts a few seconds and doesn't really contribute towards the plot into another and into the next. And it's like, after a while, you're like, 12 minutes have gone by and you're like, hang on a second, this film is not advancing. What am I even watching? Again, this, this is where that existential malaise comes in. You begin yeah. to doubt your own sanity. Mm. <laughs> have you not, did you notice also that they don't obey the 180 rule at all? So I have no idea where characters are in relation to one another yeah. because they just decide to switch places... Um, in relation to where they are and where they're, what direction they're facing. Mm, there they are, have no concept of the 180. There are numerous occasions as well where they cut from a character holding something or standing in a particular position or leaning on something and then it cuts away and cuts back half a second later and the thing is gone and the position is gone. <laughs> they have just reverted to their normal stance. I, and I think there's a, there's a bit at the very end where three women question mark, who appear yeah. to be patterned off the Toy Story Barbie are hanging around oh, the squirrel guy. Someone. Is it Dan? Yes, yes, Dan. Dan. Because he was, he was leering out Dan. of his plane at a lady and what, what was his actual words? Hang on. He says, nice packaging, want some chocolate frosting? Make of that what you will, folks. Oh. Yeah. He, he then says he'd like to butter her muffins. He also says to uh, Lady X, melts in your mouth, not in your hand. Yep. Oh, that's the thing that happened. kids here. But yeah, the, uh, the three girls that are hanging around yeah. at the They're end. They're all a palette swap of her. But one of them is like, she's standing with her hands linked together at the fingers and at right angles to each other as if she was leaning on a shelf or something. But there is no shelf there. She's just leaning on thin air. <sighs> <laughs> I do that frequently, actually. I just <laughs> it's just the a cool thing it's, to do. Yeah, it's, it's that cool... Uh, one thing I worked out with thing. the power of mathematics, um, <laughs> that about Hilary Duff uh, being born in 1987, means that she wasn't quite four years old when Hot Shots was released. Ooh, and, yeah. Charlie oh. Sheen, and Charlie Sheen yeah. fried an egg on Valerie Galino's naked sizzling belly. But there's also That's... that phrase at the end, Brand X took your sweetness, your goodness, and turned it into something vile. And they never really follow up on that. Like, I think that, that that's an explanation as to why... Um, oh, I've just realized that that was like the reason why Sunshine Goodness was taken away and, and, just, and kept alive rather than all the other um, um, icons that get killed. They were extracting her juice. So it's now all there's about juice. as well. Yes. <laughs> Again, um, Larry here, Lawrence, has a boner for the Skeksis because his weasel is basically the Chamberlain. That <gasps> oh my god! Yes, oh. yes. Oh, oh, I'm sad. I think it yeah. really reminds me of something, but I'm really hoping there's nothing in yep. my brain that's like this. Dude loves the dark <laughs> crystal, and that's the one good thing about him. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, the, okay, so the tiny woman. <laughs> uh, this is Lady X. Uh, can, can anyone explain, like, the actual chronology of who she was before this film and what exactly happened? Because she comes back later. Like, it, it turns out she's the, the, the villain behind all of this. And we find this out long after most of the film has been sent, spent I- I- indicating her as the villain behind all of this. Well, she's, she used to be the obese, ugly icon for a brand of prunes. Named Priscilla Pusley. That's the one. And her product was recalled. So uh, the the idea here is that she's been... Uh, I, I, well, I'm guessing that she was going to be replaced by some Brand X prunes and decided if you can't beat them, join them. Did some things to completely alter her appearance. Well, she went to Argentina. And had plastic uh, surgery, no, no, uh, apparently. Brazil. Brazil, Brazil, Brazil I believe. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, Siskin mentioned if, uh, that she met the boys from Brazil and some of these yeah. mini-Nazis. Um, but that really doesn't make any sense because if a, if a line is failing, unless the prunes are literally poisoned, it's unlikely to shut down the company. They no, might- wait, 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 wait. Do you remember when Captain Birdseye was transformed from an old bearded man from, who was the captain of the Titanic mm-hmm. into a young, sexy Captain Birdseye? It was so that when he uh, took children onto his island to give them his fish fingers, it wouldn't look suspect. Mm, that helped. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is not a joke, folks. That's an actual British but, product but no, with an actual British ad campaign. But no, that's what I was going to say. Well, they, they love they my might, fish fingers. They might change the character in order to revivify the brand. Yeah. But she'd still have been selling prunes. When she comes back, she's selling detergent. Oh, good point. Well, I mean, maybe maybe like she skipped town and like came back and, and impressed her tiny, sexy body upon the Brand X Corporation because she says that she, like, when men... When you look like this, you can get humans to do whatever you yeah, want them to. Size only matters for women or, like, yeah. For men. For men. Yeah, that was... Okay, if you That are, was where I just went, oh, wow, really? You just did that in... That was the I got kids here moment for me. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> You're an advertising exec, and the the character on a box of prunes starts talking to you and suggesting <laughs> ideas for world domination. It's time to put down the cocaine. <laughs> but instead, she gets a robot body. I'm not even sure how this happened. Yeah, she makes a comment uh, uh, towards the end where somebody asks, like, how she managed to do all of this. And she's like, when you look like this, you'd be, ama- you'd be amazed at what you can make people do. But, but that still doesn't explain like how she got tiny. the surgery in the first place. Mm-hmm. So this... I, all right, I, wait, I, I think I got this. I think I got this. Okay. Okay. So Dex at one point mentions that the Ikes are the soul of the product. Yeah. The reason why Priscilla Pusley was big and ugly is because apparently prunes are big and ugly. Um, not because some marketing exec thought, hey, let's have a big, ugly mascot for our prune brand. That will totally get people to buy it. So she went and got a product transplant uh, to detergent. Like she went to Brazil and it's like buying a new identity. And that transformed her into Lady X, the detergent dominatrix. I got prunes <laughs> in my ledger. I want them worked out. Yes. What? <laughs> so much worse. So it's kind of trans panic as well. 
Only instead of, oh, she used to be a man, she used to be a big fat ugly lady and you might fuck a big fat ugly lady by mistake because she's now a sexy lady. Just, the heart of this movie is poisoned. I actually, I was just thinking that there's possibly some unwritten prequel here where the first thing she does is seduce some poor artist and convince him to rub her out and redraw her as Jack the Rabbit. <laughs> could, could you rephrase that, please? Yeah. Are we not Amazing. rephrasing anymore? So the artist hey, is rubbing one wouldn't. out. Hey, they I'm not. No! <laughs> so, I'm, I'm not sympathetic to her specifically. She is a Nazi-stoking villain. I don't know whether she's a true believer in the... Uh, uh, the, the in, nationalism but um she she uh, is just about to cut out the tongue of a mentally challenged frog without blinking at one point in mm. the uh, film but you know when uh, uh sunshine goodness comes back and she like lady x has been beating up Dex, but he won't hit a woman but uh, uh sunshine says yeah but i will he yeah and there's what looks like tekken one happens um oh. <laughs> and then she 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 punches the attractive off her and 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 turns her into this you know old obese uh, ugly wretched lump of a lady again named Priscilla Pusley because of course that's how I, plastic surgery works yeah you, you punch yeah. it off i'm pretty sure that was the end of uh, catwoman too wasn't it yeah, yeah. but it it does turn the our heroes into these smug turds who laugh at how ugly she is which was really uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at you! <laughs> Sunshine Chip slapped her back to ugly. Gross. It doesn't have to end like this. All I ever really wanted was you. Well, you and world domination. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a spam. Oh, the indignity of it all. My favorite part of that particular fight scene that you just described is that there's a credited martial arts consultant or choreographer in the is. film. If you're laundering money, that. you have to have a lot of people uh, uh, in various positions. <laughs> yeah. of, you know, that, that, what was his name? E. Smith, the uh, martial arts choreographer. <laughs> yeah. Least, hey, it wasn't Y.K. Kim. I mean, we know that much. Yeah. How silly of you. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't tell Jim. Um, anyway, so... <laughs> Okay, so uh, that's, I've not I've not written the word nana in any of my notes. Is this is this actually a nana? Because it it, no. it follows no. Okay, why? Uh, uh, a nana has to circle back around to being good first yeah, of all. That's true. But uh, part of it also is that nanars tend to have a sincerity to them. This bleeds cynicism. Yeah, I mean, uh, troll two doesn't have a sincerity to it. It was written by uh, the, these two crazed Italians who were just trying to make jabs at their new vegetarian friends but who thought they were so big. There is a sincerity <laughs> yeah. in the performances in Troll 2. They are shockingly yeah. poor, but the actors really wanted to do something. What are you doing, Dad? I'm going to tighten my belt by two notches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't piss on hospitality. You've got to make a choice between me and your, your little, little boys. Oh, God, I don't want to watch Troll, Troll 2 so much. Okay, folks, check out the uh, School of Movies archive for our show on Troll 1 and 2. Yeah. And while you're at it, listen to our shows on The Room, Birdemic, colon, Shock and Terror, Zardoz, and Miami Connection. I'm going now through this list of things that disturb me about this film. Number seven was <laughs> Wayne Brady as Daredevil... Because we've done the first six. Wayne Brady as Daredevil Dan. Um, it's not that he's... 
an annoying Jar Jar Binks character, but it's everything that goes with the Jar Jar Binks side of it. He is positioned as a black stereotype in pretty much everything that he says and does, every way that he looks. Like, his face looks like... It looks like a horrible cartoon from the 1920s. He looks like Donkey drawn as a squirrel. He has the big buck teeth in front. It's... There's a certain charm about Donkey, though. There's, there's, it, there's no love in how Dan is rendered. Mm. There's no love in how anything is rendered in this that is, film. That is very true. But, yeah, no, Dan is this foolish but faithful sidekick who leers and catcalls at women. There's this weirdly paranoid moment when he walks off with Lady X, leaving the white dog behind with the line. Anyone? Ooh. I blocked it from my memory. Yeah, is, is that the uh, everyone loves chocolate? It's chicks dig chocolate. Chocolate. That's what it was. Make chicks that dig chocolate. Like. So, yeah. 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 It's, uh, oh, man. I, Wayne Brady could have improvised something better than this. Definitely. Than all these lines. Easily. Yeah, he's a hell of a comedian. Like, he was years, years better than this. Everybody was uh, like everybody. I think except for like this director has more talent than this. Yeah. I don't know about that. Maybe he did something brilliant later. Maybe you know, maybe he had like a short film that was just absolutely incredible. But man, yeah. so interminably long story short, the meta story going on here is that a small supermarket is being invaded by Brand X, and they want to replace. The popular branded merchandise with Brand X, like a shit inferior version of them. But this takes place within the story as legions of poorly animated Nazis turning up in the street and the food mascots fighting them with goop. Not Gwyneth Paltrow's brand of potions, I mean literal goop. Sharon pointed out that um, uh, when, when the actual food fight starts happening, everything they throw at the Nazis turns into the same liquidious mess, uh, just of different colours. Like they, they will just like swip out, swap out the colour. Like he thought, oh yeah, Remus food. Yeah, he, he, he th- they throw <laughs> pancakes. They turn into sort of this this beige mess. They, they throw hot chocolate on them. Adding marshmallows first, it's just this brown mess that's the exact same texture. They throw watermelons. It just, I uh, just went, and a red mess, and it just turns into that. But it's, there's no chunks in it at all. It's just the same liquid texture. They've got the most basic of like, right, this one is smoke, this one is liquid. And they just color swap them. It's, it's, the, yeah. it's the, one of the laziest films you will ever see. Yeah, and part of the, the thing with the food fight, that's one of the things that just doesn't work visually is... Are these things supposed to be lethal? Because sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not. Like Lieutenant X just licks the licks the stuff off his own face, yeah. but other people sometimes are dying. No, no, I think that was General X, not Lieutenant X. Oh, was that General X? Ah, oh. whichever one. Faux Tim Curry. Listen, so it was the short it, one it, who's licking the, it off his the face. The short one is General X. Oh no, it was X. the short he's one. The, yes, he's Napoleon. That was Jerry Stiller. We could go with Bugsy Malone rules here, which is basically that the splurge guns are fatal until the very end when it would technically be a bloodbath or cream bath. Um, Ew. But no, it, it, it turns into... <laughs> I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> worse. That is the worst thing I've ever said in my life. Fuck. Yeah. Well, sorry. Yeah. I didn't even oh, like wow. those words. Okay, but, uh, yeah, no, no, it's no, just, no, let, let me just it, say It's it hard to tell Wait, whether... It, on, is this a war or not, though? i got to like, work it back. Are, 
Hold what? on, Karu. I've got, to, I've got to say something instead of oh. what I just said because I'm disgusted. <laughs> oh, let's, me, yes. let us never speak of that moment oh, again. God. Yeah, that, I don't know oh. what you're talking Okay, right. But it, uh, I can't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> That's what. Never mind. Okay. Uh, someone, someone move forwards. That's the most horrible. Is this a war or not? Is it lethal or not? What are the. I can't believe I'm asking this. What are the stakes? The stakes are bursting into brown liquidious mess, is what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, of course they are. It would appear to be the symbolic conflict between brand X and main store brands that's going on. Like, the, the souls of the brands are fighting. It's not literally going on in this supermarket, it is a metaphorical battle going on in the ether of commerce. These are effectively data numbers going back and forth and we're just seeing a visual representation of that you know how in in movies with hackers they'll show us a, a bright funny light show to make it seem like hacking is 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 fun and interesting uh, when in actuality it would just be a whole bunch of like keystrokes yeah. yeah so rather than the keystrokes of the 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 effective battle between mr clean and its store brand uh, alternative we're seeing mr clean throw bleach in the eyes of nazis yeah, which is kind of better nice. film, better film. Yeah, <laughs> nice thought. I like that. Uh, so the brief introduction of Christopher Lloyd, the Brand X representative, we mentioned it before, um, and then he disappears for the rest of the movie. This is for me the 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 perfect moment in this film. It is so erratic. It's so lurching and eye-rolling and stuttering and insane. He's walking down the aisle of the, the supermarket, but he's not walking. He's flinging his feet out like the Ministry of Funny Walks. And he's goose-stepping. Yeah, he's goose-stepping, but like he's goose-stepping like a drunken man would goose-step. <laughs> like, you know, he, he's playing uh, hopscotch on six different hopscotch um, games <laughs> in a row. And Ed Asner's like you know little store owners like walking after him going oh i'm not sure about this and trying to talk to this crazy man may i help you you must be leonard the manager i'm your new brand x representative i wasn't expecting any new products a corporate picture store to test the new brand x detergent with alexa brand x huh Never heard of it. Give us one week. Your customers won't know how they lived with a brand X. Well, everything is so nice the way it is. We don't have space. Oh, I'll make space. Wait until you get up. Whiff of a brand X elixir. It's practically addictive. <laughs> that was a perfectly good bag of chips. Survival of the fittest, Leonard. Never opened. Never enjoyed. You could show this to anyone in the world, doesn't matter what their age or cultural background, and they would all feel the same thing. What am I watching? <laughs> Like, yes. what is this? And it's that bewilderment, which I think is a some, somehow a great unifier, that this, this one part of the <laughs> film would all be equally baffled by what they were trying to do and say. It's such a miscommunication of their aims. It, it just makes you want to hug someone or just 
receive some basic human touch. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe just hug everyone who made it in a kind of who hurt you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In back there, to there, it's over. But back to humour again, it misses the appeal of puns. I appreciate a good pun, and I've said in the past that a really good pun and a really bad pun are really only the difference is delivery. Um, and they just have, they have to be delivered either by someone who is at once proud and faintly embarrassed to make the pun, or that they just thought of on the spot, uh, and the tension and release and the shared head shaking from everyone who heard that pun is why that's funny. Or the puns have to be woven into the dialogue of characters who deliver them deadpan as part of what they're saying within a scene. They, that sort of stuff happens in Pixar films all the time. And they can't simply be sat limply within the lines of a script to be delivered without feeling or nuance. But more importantly, there has to be some sort of congruence to the context. If Dex had said at the end, quite frankly, my dear, I don't give a spam, and the woman he was talking to was literally an icon for spam, it would have been a groaner and an obviously placed one, but there would have been some internal logic. Instead, it's spam. That's a food. And that's, <laughs> that's all of the puns in this film. There's Melon Rouge, uh, which one assumes is a fruit-based burlesque club at the beginning. But <laughs> yes, which which has a show, Singing in the Drain, but yeah, is, I, I, uh, is listed there. What, what is Singing in the Drain? Is, is that literally the same movie? Or, or they, they, it's a theatre-based version, only Gene Kelly's character is an anthropomorphic bottle of drain cleaner? And there's the point where Dex says, for frying out loud. And it's, it's like, it, like, do they literally re- replace words in the English language for other words that seem like they're connected with commerce? Like, it's such a they, strange language. They must because they're, they're just general parlance. I mean, you know, I'm not ready to throw in the paper towel on this one. There, there are points where it's just like, no, you're a grocery store. You would also sell towels. Yeah. Like, why, why does it have to be... You, you're putting a hat on top of a hat that's already got a hat on it. Stop. <laughs> and there's one point he says the, 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 the oven timer's ticking or something along those lines. And it's like, it feels like... How the ho-hos is this possible? Yeah. But but the absolute bottom end is I'm the I'm not the one, as Sharon said, I'm not the one who's going to be puppy whipped, you cold farted itch. <laughs> how, how did that make the final script? Like, no one questioned it. Least of all, Charlie Sheen. I always knew you were damaged goods. I'm not the one who's going to be puppy whipped, you cold farted itch. Nailed it. Alex, I think that what you're missing here is that farting is funny, apparently. That's why they keep using it and referencing it. And there like, hadn't been a fart joke for minutes by this yeah, point. Whole minutes. <laughs> I, I, I thought I was going to die. Also, what's... What is puppy whipped? I've never heard that idiom before. Well, he's it's supposed a dog, to be... and he's Indiana Jones, so he has a whip, and also pussy whipped, which they don't know what it means in this particular context. They're using it inappropriately anyway. That phrase, while it may be a play on words, suggests to children there are people in the world who beat puppies. Yeah. And, and while there are... That's not something that you want to hint at in a kid's film. Uh, but you could even say to the children, no, 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 sorry, kids, they, they don't hit puppies. We were making a play on Pussy Whipped. 
What's pussy whipped? Also, people are going to hit cats. There's no way. Okay, we're older. This one. There's no way you can get out of this one. Not really. No. Like, yeah. j- we don't were trying to make throw that in joke. General BDSM uh, undertones of everything involving Brand X. Yeah. 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 Well, most of the the replacement words are switched out for swear words, and sometimes you can do that to remarkably good effect, as in the good place, and sometimes you can do That's it bullshit. to remarkably ridiculous effect, as in here. Yeah. Uh, but the insidious core premise of the whole endeavour is that it is somehow a cardinal virtue to buy brand name products and to shun store brand ones. There is a notion that these products created to capital store brand ones to created to capitalize on a market that has a lower grocery budget. They're somehow twinned with nationalism and a loss of individual identity. Tesco brand cornflakes are bland and shitty and not as nice as Kellogg's, but they're not Nazi cornflakes. <laughs> yeah, but apparently most Tesco brand stuff is actually pretty good. It's I watched okay. a week on Tes- I watched a week on Tesco Value and also a week on uh, Asda Smart Price. Yeah, they were decent apparently. So, sometimes when your budget is tight, you gotta eat that stuff to stay Absolutely. alive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, Public brand stuff is amazing. I, I don't know yeah. how they play it in America, but here most of the big supermarkets have two levels of own brand stuff. There's yeah. the stuff that's value and really finest. cheap, yeah. and then there's the stuff that's kind of in the middle between the cheap and the uh, the brand name mm, product mm. so that you feel like you have an actual choice. That's true, actually. Yeah, uh, Tesco's will have bog-standard digestives on value and then slightly better, you might not tell these are McVitie's. Mm. These aren't you know McVitie's they're all made in the same digestives. factory, right? Yes, I know. Oh. But they're not the same type. No, no, no. We had a blind test them, test, taste they test. They sort them for quality yeah. and the really good quality ones get packaged as the branded <laughs> ones and the ones in the middle go store brand and the ones at the low end go value brand. Uh, hey, oh my, got you a bag of irregular Oreos. I don't know what's irregular about this one. Oh. <laughs> but what is... But the, the, no, 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 because it, you saying that, it's just occurred to me, the, the underpinning and slightly disturbing nature of, of putting this to children. Hmm. Because if that's the message that they're putting across, that you want to go for the brand names, kids, you want to go for the ones with the recognisable characters and all of that yeah. brand X stuff that you don't recognise on the box because it's just blue and yellow stripes, yeah. uh, that's that's evil, evil food. Don't buy that. Run so, with your wide arms open towards capitalism. Because here's the thing, if you're, if you're playing junk food adverts to kids and they're really about blatant, big, expensive stuff. And they go yeah. running to mum and dad and pull on their sleeve and say, mum, 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 I've just seen this advert for this and I want it. Then mum can go, we're not going out for anything special. No, you're not having that. Mm. But if every time you're in a supermarket, the kids go, oh, we don't like that kind of cornflakes, mum. Get the, get the cornflakes with the weird cat on the front. Mm. And every time <laughs> they go, the kids manage to edge them up just one at a time, just up to the next level brand, you're getting the families to spend more gradually. I mean, I get that that was their pitch to all the places that they were trying to get product placement for. That that was the cynical move behind this. They were like, Kellogg's, will you sponsor this film? Because, you know, you, you it, like because you've got all of these companies who earn, you know, billions every year, you get them to just throw you a few million and you can get the, the funding for this film, you know, re, you know overnight. Mm. Plus, if you're using their recognisable characters, like whatever the monkey's called that's on the front of Cocoa Pops. Brilliant. Coco is the name of the monkey. <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> Coco the monkey. They're called Choco Crispy. Oh, hang on. They're, what are they called in America? Cocoa Puffs. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, Cocoa Pops. But A, you don't actually have to come up with any character designs yeah. because you're using tr- registered trademarked ones. B, those registered trademark characters get you all of this automatic cross-promotion and advertising. True. But you're also wildly underestimating your audience. Kids know when they're being advertised to. They, they might know more now in 2012 because they, they've all got, you know, they, they're getting smartphones and they definitely know more now in 2018. But even in yeah. 2002, kids would go, right, hang on, so Coco Monkey is teaming up with the stork from Stork Margarine and they've got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> and they've got to stop, well, I don't know. And <laughs> Captain Birdseye from chick, you know putting fish sticks in all the children. Um, <laughs> but you're not telling me there's not a handful of kids that try to put margarine on cocoa pops. Like no kid's going to go. Well, that sounds like an exciting adventure that I want to know all about. They're going to go. I'm not buying these products, you know. But it's one thing when it's toys. I mean, I, I, I totally was. Yeah, buy me the I've He-Man. The buy me the, the Transformer stuff. Yeah, but, a narrative attached to them. Exactly, yeah. But I'm not sitting there like, ooh, the Tricks Rabbit really has some great adventures. <laughs> I'd like to play those out and maybe add Count Chocula to the mix. One thing I noticed about American serial ads over a lot of years of watching them on YouTube, they're all based around the same premise. Oh no, that thing's going to steal your cereal. Oh, you got it back. And the thing still wants your cereal. Oh, I just love that cereal. That's the same narrative over and over again. Oh, there was a time um, in the late 80s when they had a uh, advertising campaign for tricks. And it was, should the tricks rabbit be allowed to have tricks at least once? And there's a 900 number you could call for yes and one that you could call for no. Just like killing Robin. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I remember it, apparently um, overwhelmingly kids voted yes. So kids actually felt a little bit bad for the Trix Rabbit not yeah. being able to get tri- – like I remember even as a kid I'm thinking, well, why don't they just pour him another bowl? Like do they have all of the tricks? It teaches the kids to not share <laughs> and to be – yeah. again, this is like the – this is like – this. oh my god. It's freaking Andrew Ryan. It's like, no, the Trix Rabbit is a leech. <laughs> is a child not entitled to the cereal of their own <laughs> 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 True. steal his lucky charms are to be encouraged at every turn yeah Ayn Rand would approve she'd be all like yes a man in Stuttgart wants his share of your fruity pebbles they are yours you must shun him and create a world where there is no need for the man in Stuttgart I've made Ayn Rand the Grand High Witch for some reason. Objectivism is just a fancy word for being a dick. Yeah. How can we take (laughs) selfishness and turn it into a political movement? It's so edgy. Can we talk about the the music in this film? Composed by Walter Murphy, a family guy. Yeah, go for it. Because that's something that we haven't discussed yet. So, I mean, like any quote-unquote soundtrack, you've kind of got the background orchestral music which honestly wasn't terrible in this film it might be a highlight of this film because you kind of didn't notice it but then they occasionally had like actual songs with singing like numbers that were inserted and the highlight was probably the opening number like i guess the the theme it's song for the world. film it's my yeah. life it's our world.
dying here. Would excuse me kill you? Oh, great. Now I forgot where I was going. That one that's kind of catchy and you're like, eh, this isn't awful. It doesn't make me want to claw my ears out. But then later they've got that scene where uh, the Nazis show up at the the, the Copa Copa Banana. Banana. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they show up there and there's the the like song. Let's call it a song fight between the the brand X, I guess, jingle Mm. and and the USDA uh, theme song question mark. I mean, they're trying to I think they're trying to essentially parody a scene from Casablanca Mm. where the grand illusion. Apparently. Ah, yeah, and it's just so weird. Okay, here's that battle of the songs. And be aware, I haven't edited this in any way. This is literally how it sounds in the film. I'm sorry. Don't they mention West Side Story somewhere in the in the movie? I thought there is a point where they're talking about like gang warfare between the salts and the sweets. The salts yeah, yeah. Oh, Jesus yeah. So like, the, like potato chips are now killing ho hos in the <laughs> Specifically, though, this is at the point where the mob's been massacred yeah. and they're running around going, "It's it's a big gang fight between the salts and the sugars," and they try to pin it all on Dan. Yeah. Simply because he's not there. The one black guy. Hmm. Yeah, is obviously the source of the gang warfare. Yeah, um, the, the, this is so troublesome. Like, it, <clears throat> you don't even need to d- disassemble it that much just to see this rotten fucking perspective right there. Um, the, actually, even the, the whole, it's my world, it's, it's my life, it's, it's our world, it's my life. Nothing, one of the lines is, nothing's going to stand in the way of our fantasy. Which seems to be dreadfully patronizing of children. Where it's like, hey, stupid kids, here's some stupid shit for you. You don't like real life, do you? Well, who does? Apparently. Mm. I don't anymore after watching this. It has made grocery stores seem like awful places. I used to love going shopping. I will say that I, th- I think my, my vote for the, the best song... And it's almost a throwaway gag, and it's one of the few times where this this film's attempts at humor actually, I think, sort of land for me, is the group of raisins singing I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Mm. Because they used to be grapes. Like, that's that's the one, that that's maybe the one time I was like, oh, that's actually a pretty good attempt at a pun. You, wait, wait, you mean, well, you mean the California Raisins? Yeah. Yes, the they, California Raisins. But they've no, definitely that, sung that before themselves. Yeah, that's that's been the yeah. joke since, like, 1985. Yeah, <laughs> no, like, that's, that, 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 that's, like, the one time, and it's them stealing a pun from someone else, yeah. but I'm thinking, like, oh, okay, no, that's, you at least understand how humor is employed, <laughs> I guess. It, it's, it's, it's like a three-year-old. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a three-year-old retelling a joke but oh, you retold it, but you told it all in sequence. So good for you, little Timmy. Way to go! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you, you didn't sing the song. Wait for the laugh. 
then come back and go, but they're raisins, you see. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably worth mentioning, by the way, because we haven't talked about him yet. At one point, Dex and the squirrel thing go to see a doctor who's a massive Jewish stereotype with a nose that takes up most of the screen. It's like a three-legged race between prejudice and stupidity. What is going on? We need you to analyze this. I borrowed it from Lady X. I think it's the secret ingredient in the Brand X elixir. Brand X! Oh! Brand X! Why me? Why? Why Brand X? Why? No, 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 no. Come on, come on. Why not, uh, let's see. Dr. Pepper, Dr. Scholes, Dr. Feel Good. Anybody but me. Doc, step out of it. You're the only one with a nose for the job. Oh, this is just great. Okay. I'll give it a whiff. It can't be done. (laughs) Let me uh, elaborate on the history. This has kind of already been touched on already, but I'm just going to highlight a few things. The production on this one. It stemmed from a company called Threshold Entertainment, uh, and it uh, was headed up by its CEO, a man who I've mentioned a couple of times already, called Lawrence Kazanoff. And he is the guy at the center of Food Fight. Um, He's the former president of Lightstorm Entertainment. Uh, He was part of the production on Blue Steel, Strange Days, Chud 2 Bud the Chud, Mm. Ghoulies Go to College, Mortal Kombat, and Mortal Kombat Annihilation. That's more his speed. True Lies. And he's still very much active with the upcoming film based on the smash hit beloved video game, Tetris. Who the hell is your business manager? Business-wise? Give it to the food I'm, fight I'm guy, t- definitely. This guy worked with James Cameron. Yeah, this is what? this is not a one-off outsider like Tommy Wiseau or James Nguyen. This man produced films with James Cameron, the one who smashed box office records with Titanic and the still undefeated Avatar at $2.7 billion worldwide. This just in, Avengers Endgame has indeed beaten Avatar at the box office. Or not, it's hard to say. We are talking about a professional dealing with hundreds of millions of dollars. Here is what the internet ticker says about Food Fight. Lawrence and a Threshold Entertainment employee named Joshua Wexler created the concept of Food Fight in 99. <clears throat> a tw- yep. Yeah, Sharon's Over miming, toking a very large joint. <laughs> a tw- I think it was a lot more cynical than that. I think they would have been more imaginative if they'd gotten really fucking high. Mm, yes, you They'd have made Sausage Party. A $25 million joint investment into the project was made by Threshold and the Korean investment company Natural Image. The producers expected that foreign pre-sales and loans against uh, the yeah, sales would... Pr- Sorry, hang on, what? I could use a snack. Sure, we want... I don't know. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry, are we making you guys hungry with all this talk no, of food? No, no, no. No, no, my, my, my wife stepped in the room and I thought I muted the mic. I'm sorry. That's quite all right. Uh, so just tell her you'd like some Mrs. Butterworth's uh, slathered all over. Um, that, that's right. We need Mrs. Butterworth's and uh, Vlasic pickles were in the background yeah. and just cover that in some Mr. Clean. Oh. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't throw some Brand X in there for a little It's little practically mystery. addicting. <laughs> he sounds more like Richard Nixon. He sounds like a drug-addled Richard Nixon. <clears throat> anyway, so Richard Nixon. Then. Yeah, the producers <laughs> expected that foreign pre-sales and loans against the sales would provide the remaining portion of the budget. The estimated remainder was fifty million. Uh, so, yeah, they they um, 
that threshold and natural image put together 25 million. They were hoping to get 50 million more to make 75 million. For comparison, the 1995 Pixar startup film Toy Story cost 30 million. So only $5 million more than they already had. Three years later, A Bug's Life in 98 cost 120 million, and Toy Story 2 in 99 was 90 million. So, again, a lot as, as with um, Disney during their uh, more recent renaissance, a lot of the money goes into the actual tech. So, Tangled cost more than Frozen, but Frozen made more than Tangled. So, these are what Larry here would have been making his budget estimates based on. The film was created and produced by the digital effects shop at Threshold, located in Santa Monica, California, in the Los Angeles metropolitan area. In late 2002, early 2003, Kazanoff reported that hard drives containing unfinished assets from the film had been stolen in what he called an act of industrial espionage. In other words, oh yeah, all our animation was stolen. Well, God, we've got to start again. Is this the big budget equivalent of the dog ate my homework? It's, it's the big budget equivalent of, well, how did the dog get into the cookie jar? He opened it with his nose. Why did the dog close the cookie jar? He did it by jumping on it. Why did the dog close the cookie jar? He, I don't know, I wasn't watching the dog. The film was supposed to be computer animated with an exaggerated use of squash and stretch to resemble the Looney Tunes shorts, but after production resumed in 2004, Kazanoff changed it to a style more centred on motion capture, with the result being that he and animators were speaking two different languages. In other words, they wanted to make something competent, he didn't. <laughs> I th- from the sounds of it, it, it might even have been true. Maybe in this industrial espionage, it did disappear. And it's not a case that he was like, well, if we just make a really cheap version of the film saying that we had these stolen, we've got to just rush this out, then I can pocket 24 of that 25 million and go be richer than astronauts. That it, maybe it wasn't that. I think that the intention... It would be litigious if I said it was that. I think that the ah. intention may possibly have been that if he claimed that they'd been stolen, they could shut down production and claim the budget back on insurance. Maybe, maybe. Um, Lionsgate established a distribution deal in the financing company Story Arc represented investors who gave $20 million to, uh, in funding to Threshold in 2005 due to the Lionsgate deal, the celebrity voice actors and the production product tie-in. So the celebrity voice actors were not paid in peanuts. A release date in 05 was later announced but missed. Another distribution deal was struck in 07, but again, nothing came of it. Lionsgate had a negative reaction to the delays. The investors had grown impatient due to the film production company defaulting on its secured promissory note and the release dates that were not met. Finally, in 2011, this is uh, nine years after they started, the film was auctioned for a $2.5 million. Story Arc investors had ultimately uh, invoked a clause in their contract that allowed the Fireman's Fund Insurance Company, which had insured Food Fight, to complete and release the film as inexpensively and quickly as possible, which would probably explain the motion capture way of just getting this one done. The final budget was $65 million. The final box office, well, in June 2012, the same year as Wreck-It Ralph, Food Fight received, after 13 years of development, a limited release in the United Kingdom, grossing approximately $20,000 of ticket sales from confused parents in its opening weekend. <laughs> it was, it just was a giant bastard. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wonder what else came out around that same time. Uh, but 
But here's my question to you guys. Why does the animation being stolen by persons unknown, even if that did actually happen, mean absolutely nothing in the long run for the finished film? I mean, however much of their assets were were not stolen, like, these are clearly people who don't understand story and character. Like, they've cribbed a whole bunch of stuff from other places, thrown it in a blender, pressed puree, and just dumped it out and said, okay, um, this is funny, right? And they just kind of, like, scraped it over the screen, like five-month-old marmalade, just like, this This will be fine. It, it looks kind of like food. It'll be fine. You can always tell a lazy comedy from its reliance on reference and pop culture because that immediately dates it. Even if you are already using dated references, it's that doesn't help at all. It's The humor has to come from the situations and the characters. And in Food Fight, it's basically the jokes that they think are going to land the hardest. It's very clear that they think are going to land the hardest are the ones that are just references to something else. To have a successful movie, you would have to have a story. And while some of the, some of the best movies have very simple stories... This story just doesn't make any sense. It's not internally consistent. It's not logically consistent. There are no characters that are really developed that you care about. There's no... There's a a complete misunderstanding of how humor works and timing. And, like, nothing about making a film was used properly in this thing. So you could have had like the finest Pixar animation ever and you would still have a horrible film side note uh, Brave came out a week after this in the UK <laughs> oh well it, Aaron you see that would require people who cared true <laughs> but no it's, that's it's, asking a lot of this particular uh, movie <laughs> in true. quotes uh, you've uh, yeah, you've hit the nail exactly on the head. What I was getting at uh, exactly is that uh, you could just put Pixar quality animation on top of this. It doesn't matter what the animation. It doesn't matter what the animation looks like. The film itself is gibberish. It's it's wrong-headed gibberish, and it doesn't Although matter how good once, it looks. The visuals match the character of the film. Bingo! Absolutely, it's appropriately animated. For, for what's yeah. at the at the uh, heart of it, um, I'm gonna. Uh, there's a lengthy series of quotes I'm gonna uh, go from the AV Club. I don't usually quote other people's reviews, but these ones were rib tickling. So the AV Club said, "If the universally beloved Toy Story movies occupy the main floor of Mascot Mansion, Wreck It Ralph the lavish second floor, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit the penthouse, then Food Fight is the inbred drooling poor relation handcuffed to the boiler in the basement for the good of himself and humanity." <laughs> Threshold won the rights to use 80s name brand products and their associated characters and was planning to use said products as the foundation for a 50 million animated film. The plan was for this concoction of internationally known corporate mascots and icons to net somewhere in the area of $100 million worth of promotion and cross-marketing during the film's international theatrical release. In the article, Larry Kazanoff, uh, this is uh, Time magazine, I believe, Uh, In an article, Larry Kazanoff, the chairman of Threshold Entertainment, is keen to point out that the film technically doesn't feature product placement since no company paid to have its product or icon featured. Wow. That was the only thing this was being made for, and they failed on that one thing. 
And the film largely relegated well-known real-world culprit mascots to the margins so that it could focus on riveting new characters like Dex Dogtective, his love interest Sunshine Goodness, and sidekick Daredevil Dan. In spite of Kazanoff's protestation, Food Fight reeks of commerce, exploitation, and greed, but its moral sins pale in comparison to its creative ones. The character design alternates between nightmarish and hopelessly generic. The pastel colours induce a visual equivalent of an ice cream headache. It's as if Threshold somehow ventured back in time, snagged the very first computer animation programme, then used it to send the art form spiralling back decades to an uncertain time before animators had worked out any of the kinks, let alone all of them. Duff's sunshine goodness is one of the more vexing and troubling elements of a botched experiment. There's nothing but vexing, troubling elements. She's a buxom spokes figure with the body and face of a human being, the ears and whiskers of a cat, and the mind of either an unusually naive adult or a mentally challenged woman child. Sunshine Goodness looks like an anorexic sex doll version of Duff following an unfortunate The Fly-like experiment with feline DNA gone horribly awry. Food Fight was apparently made for a very strange, very specific audience of small children, branding super freaks, furries, perverts, and people who all, always fantasized about fucking Mrs. Butterworth. This would be creepy and leering, even if the parties involved weren't from different species. Not my words, the words of the AV Club. And on a side note, every furry I've ever crossed paths with, especially the few I get to call friends, have been decent, lovely, kind people. And I actually got sent a literary award by a furry community subset, so I would never use that fursuit pursuit as a negative. It's a testament to how shocking, lascivious and sexual food fight is that an actor synonymous with violent cocaine... God, sorry, that an actor synonymous with violent cocaine fueled orgies with high-end prostitutes being cast as its dashing hero actually represents one of its less sketchy and offensive aspects. <laughs> <laughs> the writers write themselves into such a corner that a major plot point involves Dex Dog Detective having to make a perilous trek through the supermarket during daytime so that he can send an email alerting corporate headquarters of the evil that's been unleashed in the supermarket. Dex's exact words are if we could just get this info to our market's corporate headquarters they'd have to recall Brand X what is an epic adventure without a heroic quest to send an email to corporate headquarters (laughs) (laughs) so that's just one part of a lengthy piece from the AV club which I urge you folks all to read just to brush up on Food Fight unless you're already sick of it which you are ultimately this is my take home on it They position cheap copies of real deal products as the villains in this movie, whilst at the same time attempting to cheaply and quickly achieve the successes of the leading brand, Pixar. They are brand X. And former Pixar head, the now shameful John Lasseter, always operated his productions under a simple but abiding principle. Quality is the best business plan. So there's a rather glaring irony in rushing things, yet taking 13 years to get it done, being monumentally cheap and tacky in your actions, yet wasting $65 million of other people's money, in decrying knockoffs as you churn out the least authentic offering of the medium, and of having your hypothetically pretty heroes actively sneering at ugliness as you present us with a product as repulsive on the outside as it is in its rotten, withered heart. In an attempt to mass-market product placement, they created something nobody would buy. And in their pathetic bid to tell us a story of greed and envy, they inadvertently succeeded. You're out of your box! 
tried reasoning with you, Woody, but you keep forcing me to take extreme measures. Let's compare this one to a veritable masterpiece. Toy Story 2. You really are Stinky Pete, aren't you? Prospector, this isn't fair. Fair? I'll tell you what's not fair. Spending a lifetime on a dime store shelf watching every other toy be sold. Well, finally my waiting has paid off and no hand-me-down cowboy doll is gonna mess it up for me now! Clearly, early on in production, the decision was made to basically pinch Stinky Pete's motivation. And after all those years, it just never changed. Why? All anyone ever wanted was that sweet sunshine goodness. Two months I sat on the shelf next to Little Miss Perfect. No one bought my beautifully genetically giant prunes. But how did you get in and out of the store? You're an Ike. Humans. When you look like this, you can get them to do anything. Size only counts for men. Ugh, I guess it wasn't like Toy Story 2. Uh, any more on Food Fight, ladies and gentlemen? I think the best description that I can possibly give to the experience of watching Food Fight, um, if you've ever seen The West Wing, uh, there's an episode where they're talking about um, one of the Galileo crafts. And during this episode, um, Bartlett does the thing that Bartlett likes to do, where he stands up and he gives an inspirational speech. And he talks about the space race and he talks about human ingenuity. And he talks about a time when we reached our hands towards the heavens and we touched the face of God. It is a wonderful speech from Bartlett from episode five, season one, The Crackpots and These Women. And we actually used it in our Star Trek 2009 episode. Watching Food Fight is like the exact opposite of that. <laughs> Reaching down to touch the face of Satan. <laughs> the arse of, of Satan. Satan. Yeah. I love that we both went there. You need to leer at the face of Satan Ew. first. <laughs> Anybody else? Gives you good appreciation for actual movies, I tell you what. It does. Like, man. It does. All these, all these movies that I've seen earlier in this month, I'm thinking, man, those were some good movies. They were... They were actually films made by people who sort of knew about story. Man. Suggestion, yeah. folks. If you've had a, a film that's a classic that you saw once a while back and you're like, I never really got that. I never really liked it. Watch Food Fight. And then as you're <laughs> reeling from that, give yourself an hour. Go and have a walk. Come back. Sit down and watch that classic film again. You will appreciate it infinitely more. So here's the film that I want to see. Mm -hmm. I want to see a movie made about making Food Fight. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like the disaster artist. Food Fight. Yes. There's enough weird stuff that went on and enough open questions that there's a lot to work with here. And we could maybe get some genuine insight into what the hell was going on is what I would like to see. Artichoke I mean, Hearts of Darkness. <laughs> oh. That's a food. <laughs> it is. It, is. it I works. I think that Lawrence Kazanoff and Richard Williams should get together and go bowling. Richard Williams' effort on the, the, the Thief and the Cobbler looks beautiful in comparison to Food it, Fight. It kind of does, doesn't there's it? There's that bit with the blue roses. It's lovely. Mm -hmm. And there's, that, there's yeah. some actual visual inventiveness in there. You can see the blood, sweat, and tears sometimes. Yeah. No, I, I would love a... Uh, a like what was it called the the that the, the disaster artist the, the disaster cold, artist yeah, version yeah. food fight disaster fartist the disaster, the disaster fartist. fartist yes there we go that's Thank it you. well played <sighs> <laughs> <I don't know. laughs>
such a shame that this is an audio medium because if you could see the look on Alex's face right now, he looks beaten. He looks like a man who has just like had to run a marathon after having trained for a hundred meter dash. <laughs> I, I need a hug after after talking about this movie. Yeah. Oh, it's it's just there's just nothing left. There is nothing left. This is it's not even that cleansing uh, nothing left that I had after marathoning season three of BoJack. It's that there's it's like inside of me is that ad with the Indian crying. Oh, yeah. Bef- that That's the inside of me after discussing this film and after watching it. It's not like scoured away. It's just covered in trash. Yeah, it's a littered highway. Yeah, <laughs> covered in old food products that nobody yes. wants around. I mean, like most people listening wouldn't even heard of this thing had we not mentioned it. And and we say again, like definitely don't watch this movie, but yes. watch this no. movie. Yeah. It has to be seen to be believed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just I, as a warning, your your soul will never be Mister Clean again. <laughs> never. Oh, say, Alex, I think you had tweeted you actually had to purchase this film on a physical medium. Is this yeah, correct? I bought it on DVD. It was any of fun. Oh, because here in the U.S., if you have an Amazon Prime subscription, oh. it's currently included free on Amazon Prime. Won't cost you a penny, folks. Yeah, that the made, downside that made me is, so happy. Yeah, the downside is Amazon now thinks that I wanted to watch this film not once but twice. <laughs> And I'm really fight. worried about what it's going to recommend. <laughs> I was going to say, because you watched Food Fight twice, we are going to send a therapist to your house. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just get emails. Are you okay? <laughs> Alexa keeps checking in on you. <laughs> you Food Fight, here is a bag of shit. <laughs> Just time to thank our $15 patrons who get sponsor credit every episode. Thank you again to Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner. Big shout out to Dan this week. He knows why. John Clayson, Tyler Long, Adam Kilmartin, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosinski, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman. Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kira Dechler, and Lorraine Chisholm. On the Patreon this week at the $5 level, we've got our quick review on The Crow. That one gets quite intense. And Don't Look Now, which also gets quite intense. Next week, we continue our Fast and Furious series back with Neil Taylor, because we never covered the fate of the Furious. And we're just in time for Hobbs and Shaw. That will do on Food Fight. Before we finish completely, where can people find your best work, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, well, you can find Debbie and I at sequentially-yours.com. Um, we have just moved house, so we're a little bit behind on uploading, but we should have some new stuff up pretty soon. 
and uh, yeah, movies, comic books, lots of deep dives into stuff like that. If you like this show, then you might almost like the ours as well. Brendan? Uh, you can find me usually on Synapse, that's C-I-N-A-P-S-E dot C-O. Um, the most recent big thing I did was a, a buddy of mine who was also named Brendan, and I went through and cataloged some of our favorite sword fights throughout cinema history, breaking them down into different categories. So, you know, best between samurai, best with rapiers, best sword fights in an animated film, best sword fights you might not have seen before. Ooh. And so you can go check that out, and it's you can also article. follow me. Oh, well, thank you. Um, oh. And you can also follow me on Twitter at BLC Agnew if you want to. I mean, at this point, it's mostly just pictures of my dog and my kid because that's <laughs> kind of my life right now. Which um, is the, some of the loveliest things about the Internet. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would just appreciate that. <laughs> Specifically your dog and your kid. Yeah. Yes. Well, he has now decided that the rocket ship in her room is his bed. I bought him this great kennel that's extra large. This one I can find. <laughs> nice dog bed. <laughs> But no, it's fine. It's fine. He can sleep in the tent. That's okay. I don't mind. (laughs) (laughs) And Aaron? Uh, You can uh, find me talking about Magic the Gathering, the uh, collectible card game, just about every week on Monday Night Magic, which is part of the MTG Cast Network, found at mtgcast.com. You can also find me talking about random geeky stuff, typically not Food Fight, thank God, uh, over at Random Discard, which is another podcast I do found at randomdiscard.com. And, of course, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Lockluze, spelled just like it is in, I guess, these show notes, because I'm not going to spell it out loud. Thank you guys so, so much. for Again, I can't thank you enough for pushing yourself through this one, especially, like, who hadn't seen this at all before? Uh, Yeah, I hadn't. I've only seen other reviews of it. Same here. So, uh, but Brendan? No, you took all of our food fight cherries. Ew! Oh, oh, I feel oh. Hey, that's a food, right? That, that's yeah. a food? It's a cherry. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so uh, I, I, for that, I, I'm incredibly um, apologetic. But at the same time, it was worth <laughs> it because this was an extremely entertaining show, I think. You know, it, it's informative. It puts some perspective on this wretched thing. And like I said, it works as a great substitution for actually watching the movie. So you don't have to, but do watch Yeah, and it don't. Just don't. <laughs> we'll at least get entertainment out of our pain. Any, anyone who, uh, because of this podcast, feels the compulsion and does go and watch Food Fight, mm. we are sorry. That is all from us this week. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And the secrets inside. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. What does that even mean? I mean, it's like uh, that. Toy the... prize in the cereal box? Yeah, I think that's Maybe? the slogan of his. We never said, but Dex Dog Detective is the, 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 the mascot of a freaking cereal uh, that's cinnamon flavored loops. And that's why he wants to shag a cat woman. <laughs> <laughs> that makes as much sense as the film. Am I wrong in thinking that, that the actual picture of Sunshine Goodness on her uh, like raisin bag doesn't have any cat-like features at all? It's just a blonde girl. Yeah, she's yeah. got a like yeah. a laurel on yeah. her head. So that why she doesn't she have cat? cats? At the time. I don't know. Weird that he wants to fuck her. Oh, do you know what it is? I've just thought of this. Wait, they it? never updated the pack. That she was supposed to just be a normal girl, and somebody said it's creepy that a dog wants to fuck a girl, so they made her a bit of a cat so that it would be less creepy. 
Well, if they were doing rules for less creepy folks. If if that's what they did, they had to have made that decision a long time ago because the original 2002 trailer, she's even more of a cat. She's got a tail that they didn't bother to animate in the later version. She had a tail? She had a tail. Yeah, watch that trailer again. Right, I'm, we're going to go watch this trailer and then we're going to never think of Food Fight again. <laughs> Until I have to edit this bastard. Okay. We're, oh, we're sorry about that too. Yeah. Quite all right. And to finish, I can't give you any music from Food Fight. It's just horrible. No one wants to listen to that. I'm not going to play you any more clips. Again, see above. And I was wrecking my brains for songs about food or songs about commerce that are funnier than this and Weird Al Yankovic's done a whole bunch of songs about food but I think I'm just going to play your hardware store it's nothing to do with food fight it's a hardware store and I think nothing to do with food fight is what we all want right now take it away Al far away Generators, matching salt and pepper shakers. I can't. 